Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. If you're in the global scripted television business, there was only one place to be last week. C21's International Drama Summit, which took place over three days as part of Content London at the King's Place Conference Centre and magnificent St Pancras Renaissance Hotel. The sellout event saw over 2,500 delegates from around the world descend on the two venues to hear the latest from the industry's great and good. Among the speakers were Netflix Vice President of Originals Kelly Luganbeel, Amazon Boss of European Originals Georgia Brown, BBC Drama Chief Piers Wenger, actors Kate Blanchett and Simon Pegg, writers Sally Wainwright and Julian Fellows, and many more. If you were there, we hope you enjoyed it. If you weren't, or would simply like to listen again, over the next few weeks on the C21 podcast, we'll have highlights for you from some of the keynotes. Videos of all the sessions will be made available to Drama Summit attendees shortly, but in the meantime, we'll give you a flavour of some of the discussions that came out of this year's event. Coming up now, Kevin Riley, Chief Content Officer of HBO Max and President of TBS, TNT and True TV, discussing the international strategy for WarnerMedia's upcoming streamer, due to arrive in the US in the new year. Riley, who was followed on stage by HBO Max Head of Original Content Sarah Aubrey and President of Business Operations and Production Sandra Dewey, also talked about the kinds of programming the company is looking to acquire for its domestic market and approach to co-productions. You'll be able to watch his full presentation on C21 shortly if you were among the Drama Summit delegates, so stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, here's an extract of Riley in conversation with journalist Stephen Armstrong. Welcome to the session. Uh, I am Stephen Armstrong. I'll be your moderator for this conversation with Kevin Riley, who is launching HBO Max in May 2020. And this is effectively the Warner, the entire Warner offering all in one place as, a, as an over-the-top streamer, isn't it? Like? In effect, not exclusively, but that is where we start. I'll start with the U.S. market first, because it is, as you know, different, HBO's different things in, in your markets. But domestically, it is a beloved brand that is primarily an adult, sophisticated network. Sophisticated storytelling, phenomenal storytelling, <laughs> but very specific lane that as we now get into this SFOD world where you, we want a lot of access points. When we went to the marketplace and surveyed consumers, you had consumers said, I love it, perhaps my, you know, my wife doesn't love it, or I have children, there's nothing for my children. So what we've done is open it up and effectively wrapped another service around HBO. HBO will continue to provide the programs they provide. If you have been in conversation with them, co-productions with them, that will continue with the exact relationships you have. But we've wrapped an entire service around it, which is first the, the library. My team first look at the extensive Warner Media Library, which is almost 100 years at this point between the film studio and the television studio, and then all of the other brands we have. And that starts with cartoons for children, kids and families. We actually have a very extensive kids and family library with Hanna-Barbera and Looney Tunes and some of the most classic properties in the world as well as features. We knew Disney was coming into the marketplace. We didn't expect to, to, to win with that, but we know that we have a very deep offering there. As you go up the chain and get into then teenagers and young adults, we have everything from animation, adult comedic animation, to anime. And we took those brands, and then we took our f feature film library. We sourced it. What we decided to do is essentially take a cut 
of what was amount, upwards of uh, 50,000 hours of content we had and really sifted it down to what we thought 10,000 hours from WarnerMedia of that we thought really was a representative that gave consumers a tremendous depth across those cohorts from children to young adults to adults to wrap around HBO. And then we went to third parties and have done licensing. Some got a lot of pickup, uh, you know, two notable ones. One of the first deals we did, the very first deal we contacted was with the BBC for an output with uh, some of their most amazing properties, including Doctor Who, The Office, and Luther. Um, and then we did a, a deal with Studio Ghibli uh, for their incredible films. Uh, out of Japan that have never been before distributed uh, digitally. So we are going selectively right now on the international licensing front, and now we are going to commission uh, original. We're, we're ramping very quickly on the commissioning of original programs in those segments on the original front, and I'll just give you a little definition on, on how we do that with HBO. Again, HBO is different in all of your territories, but if you think of us as certainly know that HBO has not done kids and family, we will be in that space, scripted and unscripted. HBO in the US, they've done documentaries and they've done a variety of nonfiction programs, but we will really open up the aperture of what that is from very light and escapist relationship, romance, follow docs, as well as some serious standalone docs and sort of true crime type series. So we're about a third unscripted in, in volume on, on the uh, Mac side. And then the rest scripted that could focus on young adults for a variety of sensibilities, some very broad, light tone things, some very pinpoint that could maybe be appealing to say this would be just a loved show by, say, you know, young women or young men targeting specific audiences. And then up to the adult section are things that are, could complement HBO. So we are not looking to, you may come into some, some of your productions you're in dialogue with, and they may say, we like that, call HBO Max. We're not looking to do our version of Game of Thrones. There are some programs we have that could conceivably be on HBO, but generally speaking, we're not competing for the same projects. So that's the short strokes of it. It's, it's ramping quite quickly, but I don't want you to answer one question and I just keep talking. So why don't we break <laughs> no, that down a I mean, bit? It's, it's <laughs> um, and so when we talk about the HBO Max, well, first of all, let's just say, so this is rolling out in America in May 2020. That's right. What's the global plan? What's the, when do you go, when would you come to Europe, for instance? Do you have any idea yet? Yes. Well, globally, we're going to begin sourcing now. That's one of the reasons we're here today. Um, while we're going to get to launch, we have done quite a bit of buying. I, I'd say the pipeline is rather full for our launch, both on the licensing front and the original front. So I, I, uh, I want to encourage everybody to, to engage with us in partnership, just not today. So uh, we are here to say that we really, co-production and and sourcing of international talent and IP is going to be part of even our domestic business. Um, so we're starting that now. The first market we'll be in, which we announce, is Latin America. Um, we have a very focused and owned, wholly owned service in Latin America. That'll be our first territory. We have announced our partnership with Sky, which has been a longstanding part distribution partnership with HBO. That has now been extended, as well as the co-production component to that. The exact timing of when HBO Max will be offered in Europe is, is, we haven't yet pinned that down. But again, we're starting now with laying the tracks, the foundations for, for those services and, and where we go. And actually, I have a couple of questions about um, uh, the, the possible future in mm -hmm. Europe. The, really, it's about how European will your commissioning structure be? Will there be an office in 
for instance, Germany for HBO Max or elsewhere in the EU, and there are certain EU quotas which prescribe a minimum of 30% European local production. Yep. And do you, do you plan and when do you plan to meet that quota when you come to, the, to Europe? So how, how will Europe structure? In general, I would say that, as you may be aware, we went through a merger. AT&T acquired the former Time Warner, which is now Warner Media. Through that process, we've been in a realignment of the company. And that is, you've been dealing with different constituencies in your territories between Warner Brothers, Turner, and HBO, which are now becoming aligned in, into one business. That doesn't mean all those units will necessarily tomorrow be in one unit, but in each of your territories, you will see more and more uh, change o unfolding over the next 12 months, and then aligning with HBO Max. So I think many of those relationships and people will stay in place, and you should continue to deal with those people, and they will be the conduit. So I can't pin down now, but you can expect there will be dedicated HBO Max personnel there. Uh, when we are ready to launch or in advance of launching those services. Uh, unlike some of our competitors, say Netflix, or where it is the same service in every territory, we, we will, I think you can anticipate that the HBO Max product and the alliances underneath of it may take different forms, will likely take different forms in different territories. So it won't be one service necessarily that then is globally transported. I think you'll see different uh, relationships and uh, of course, uh, co-production will be not only sourcing locally, but also co-production domestically in the US and internationally uh, will be pretty aggressive. And so <coughs> effectively, are you, are you saying that there will be the HBO or Warner's co-production stream will exist, and then on top of that, there will also be an HBO. Well, Max. because as you know, an HBO in some territories is, is licensed or bundled with other product to, it, it just doesn't look the same thing in every territory. Because, because of that, and we don't necessarily want to unravel the, those existing businesses, uh, and because we are obviously not the first mover in the marketplace, we have to take it marketplace by marketplace and say, what is the most effective way to really go into that territory and succeed, and using the existing constituencies? I, I think, I don't want to make too bold of a statement, but I think in generally we'll be a, a fairly user-friendly. We've been doing a lot of business together for many years in different, in different aspects. And I think you can continue a lot of that. Uh, we're not now closing down all pipes to just service one business. Warner Brothers will continue to have an enormous worldwide business and doing a lot of the same channels will continue to be open. At the moment, are you buying just for the U.S., or are you buying for the world, effectively? We are buying for the U.S. I think uh, because we'll be in LATAM first, I'd say once we get into 2020, so about launch, we'll begin really looking for both content and then extending our, our rights into the LATAM territory. And we have a question about um, territories like Australia. Do you yes. have a strategy where HBO content has traditionally been behind the Foxtel subscription service? What happens in those sorts of territories? Well, that's what I, that, those are the things market, market by market will have to be sorted out. And they may build upon the existing structure and the existing relationship. In some cases, it makes sense. You may see a, a shift where all of a sudden this has led to a, a different structure. And those are going to be interesting to see how they roll out. So you've got a very broad audience, I guess. This is something that has not been necessarily we are, part of your commissioning. We are, one thing you're seeing on the SVODs now is they're, they're taking on very different 
you know, they get written about the streaming wars as though they're all going for the exact same target, and, and they're not. They're really quite different. Our product is a very broad reaching. It has, it has both breadth and depth. It has some of the biggest and most beloved brands in the world, the most highly recognized brands. We have some very specific brands. We will be in many, many different categories from educational fare to anime to tentpole feature films, and yet, our goal is to maintain a certain curatorial aspect to it. The expectations today are that you have in one, you know, these are not networks where you, these are, these are essentially one app, multiple networks folded into an app. So the expectations are, I want to have a lot of choice. We don't believe though that that algorithm-based product where it's solely fed to you by an algorithm that is supposed to know you, where the content is just somewhat overwhelming to even s discover. You know, that, that discovery process of just trying to find something, you may sit there saying, I have literally thousands of choices and I'm frozen trying to figure out what to watch next. That is a common refrain that we hear. That is something we're gonna look to really address in ours. We have something we're launching in the US called Recommended by Humans <laughs> that, uh, you know, is very quaint notion. Uh, that we think has a lot of value. Uh, yeah, and uh, we, we get that reaction because it kind of resonates, you know? And the, the machines haven't taken over the world yet. So um, we think things about taste and saying that either us or some social discovery of, of your peers think this is worth your time rather than just the algorithm knows you. Do people have questions they would like to ask? Sir, sure. the front, can we get a mic to this gentleman? My name is Roy Okupe. Um I am the CEO and also lead writer at Unique Studios. We focus primarily on kids and family entertainment, animation, but inspired by African history, culture, and mythology. My question is, do you guys have um, any interest in content specific to the African continent? And not just for even as, you know, pertains to the consumers and, you know, your impact on the continent itself, but even in the U.S. as well with the success of things like Black Panther. Yes. And if so, how do... Um, content creators like myself um, engage with you guys? Yes, in general, because I would say this. I, I've been coming to Europe my entire career, you, quite often when I was at broadca a broadcast network, and while there was always business and formats, as you know, many times it was, particularly in the U.S., uh, trying to put a, a round peg in a square hole. I think that streaming services open up more possibilities for different types of programming, different formats. You know, in the U.S., we had an incredible system where, as you know, 22 a year for five years, 100 plus episodes, but that was a very particular model that many things didn't want to fit. We commission things now that could be 10 minutes in length, could be 42 minutes or an hour and a half. Uh, it may be six episodes long. It may be very culturally specific. If there is a universal way into it that could adapt, we'd be open to it in the, in the US. I don't need to tell this international audience, but we, we live in a connected world. We are now finally in a, global, in a global marketplace. So we're aware of that, and that can make, we are shooting, about to start shooting a, a production in, in Japan. We have already multiple co-productions going that will be shot in different countries. Unique cultural experience, unique setting, unique characters. I think now even our domestic US audience, if there's a relatable way in, a clear theme, they, they can say, that's different, I'm, I'm curious. So it's case by case, but, but we're open to it. 
Initially, it will be a, a finite amount of the business. Jen, you can reach back and say hello to Jen Kim, who is right behind you, and Laura Forte, who are two executives who are here to, because they'll be our first wave of sourcing international product. We really, once we get to domestic launch in, in May of 20, we'll begin to sort of start ramping from there. When will you start pulling content from Amazon and Netflix? You're already doing that, aren't you? With yes. Netflix. I mean, we did find when we uh, finally began to get data, one of the challenges for us was that we sold all of our content to these services, but we weren't getting any data or any reporting. When we finally did get some insight, we saw that uh, in many instances, up to 40% of their usage was coming from content that we licensed to them. So uh, while on the one hand that was very lucrative to our production side of the house, for those of us who ran networks, we were basically giving them the club to beat us over the head with. <laughs> so uh, we, we've decided that's probably a good thing to stop going forward. So we are not, as Warner Media, shutting down that entire. We think it's very healthy ecosystem. Some analysts in the US have said, you know, if you're not doing 100% supply, I don't think that's healthy. I think an ecosystem wants to have different chains of supply and demand in a, a market, but you can expect that certainly the biggest and best known properties of WarnerMedia will be in HBO Max, almost exclusively. And there's a, a question about HBO Max's position regarding IP, which I'm assuming is both about what you're, what you're looking to buy and what you will do with your existing IP. What sort of rights are you offering? We are buying producers? domestic only right now, and in many cases, Again, that's a different marketplace. Some of our competitors, as you know, are buying global rights. Uh, in the US, it's actually been a, an opportunity for many to say that we can buy domestically and then go out and continue to sell internationally. Again, as we get into territories, we may begin to change that. But it will be, I think, continue for certainly through the most of the five years of this. I think there'll be a lot of flexibility in that, again, market to market. Will you share viewing data and user data with content creators and distributors? That's a very good question. Um, and I think that that's an area that is going to internationally continue to be a very robust discussion because, uh, as we know, the data becomes a very valuable thing today, not only to know exactly the consumer base, but if you're selling any ad-supported business, and at some point we will have an ad product, that becomes important. I don't personally think it's viable to hold all the information in-house anymore and just send up very you know, smoke signals periodically about how everything's going. I, I don't see that as a viable structure going forward. And um, we are going to, I think, look to have a, a more transparent approach to that, which we're refining right now. So we have reached the flashing red light end of the session. Join me, therefore, by thanking Kevin Wright. Thank you. Kevin Riley, Chief Content Officer of HBO Max and President of TBS, TNT and True TV, talking to Stephen Armstrong. Remember the full video version will be available on C21 shortly to International Drama Summit delegates along with the rest of this year's sessions. That's all for this episode but there'll be more Content London highlights in the podcast next week and in the meantime stay up to date with all the latest international TV industry news by following C21 online on mobile and social media. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 